Episode 16 of the Bearded Carcast. We're in studio once more, broadcast live in front of a studio audience down at Winthrop University. We don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> we're having a problem. There's nowhere that anyone wants us to be. So we're here again. The concept of the Bearded Carcast is simple. Dave and I go to a lot of games. We travel a lot in just cars. Just not this time just of year. Just not this time of year, right. Uh, but this was all born out of us going to a lot of games, being in the car. We decided what better way to entertain the, the world than record those conversations, and thus the Bearded Carcast, and at the time we both had beards. We used to go to a lot of games, and we used to both have beards, but now we're just two dudes sitting around the Winthrop Coliseum, which is a mess, by the way. Well, at least the media room is a mess. Yeah, they have a bunch of files in here that apparently were on a cart that had to be used elsewhere, so they dumped the cart. Of it all appears to me some of contents. these Jack Frost brought here when he got the job here in 1912. Oh, there's no doubt some of these mineral folders are older than we are. <laughs> there's, definitely, there's definitely no doubt about that. But we are right smack dab in the middle of March Madness. It's right the now, the best. round of 16, the Sweet 16 coming up next. We just finished an exciting first and second round action and you exciting and I were- doesn't even begin to describe it there's nothing else that never lets you down sometimes you go home and you're excited to see your family and they've had a bad day or they're out running an errand sometimes you turn on the super bowl like we did for like most of the 80s and 90s and they were blowouts and they were terrible the NCAA tournament never lets you down. Every year, there's a buzzer beater or two. There's a Cinderella. There's something crazy that you've never seen before. It's the best. I, I, I simply don't understand anyone that likes an event, a singular event, better than the NCAA tournament. And I will say this. The, the bang for the buck at an NCAA tournament, you and I uh, went to uh, the first and second round, or the, the first and second set. I went to the first session and part of the second session. <laughs> you went to, we'll get to that in a minute. You went to the first. Did you end up going on Sunday? I forgot to I ask. did go on Sunday. And UMBC, they played poorly, but they K-State were in didn't the play game. Great either. K-State was terrible. Now their best players out, right. but but yeah, it, it was one of those games that if it hadn't been an NCAA tournament game, you would have gone, oh my god, this is the worst basketball game I've ever seen. But because there was so much on the line and there sure. was a great Cinderella story, it, it was a captivating, if not well-played contest. That's the other thing about the NCAA tournament. You will watch games that you ordinarily would not watch because right. there's, there's so much going on. It's Except for you, because you watched, you watched the, uh, the, the midnight on the East Coast. I watched two NIT games last night. <laughs> that, that's really all you need to know. You know that first no, Monday... you watch a lot of games, I so watch people a lot of don't games. have to. They can listen to your analysis. Last Saturday, or uh, last Monday, I should say, you and I recorded our podcast about the brackets. I think a lot of our thoughts and, and opinions were, were valid if someone wants to go back and listen. I got home from that in the middle of the afternoon. I was flipping the TV around as I was looking at my brackets, and there were CIT games on CBS Sports Network, and I may oh, have... Wow. have tuned in a few minutes but the experience of being in the arena you know we have been together now in back-to-back years at the NCAA tournament last year it was as working media calling Winthrop I enjoyed Butler. that more yeah that was a little bit more enjoyable. <laughs> but it was you know I mean I thought the uh, I mean the NCAA experience is the only thing that really changes is the venue I mean 
you know, from from the participant side, you know, or media side, you know, you still have to pour your drinks into a blue cup and bring them <laughs> on the floor. Uh, but as far as, you know, ticket prices are constant. I mean, they can't do anything about the concessions. I mean, it's $80 uh, to food. sit upstairs and 100 bucks to sit downstairs per session. That's $50 or $40 per game. And you're watching games of incredible significance. And I understand that people like going to Major League Baseball games, but you're seeing one of 162 games. Now, and you're paying the same amount, maybe more depending on what venue. It's probably more at Fenway Park and less at the Oakland Coliseum. But these games, the winner moves on, and the loser goes home. Everything is on the line. For a team like you and I watched Lipscomb in North Carolina, it was not a particularly good game. But for Lipscomb, that is the culmination of a dream. Since the summer, they've been working to get to that point. For North Carolina... It's a game they have to win. Right. You can't have a hiccup because they showed up on Sunday thinking the same thing. Okay, this is just another means to an end. Oh, by the way, they got punked. Season's over. Like, there's just so much going on. Now, we had pretty good seats. We sat about yeah, 20 seats. rows in back of one of the two goals. But to me, it's the bands and the cheerleaders Absolutely. and the boosters and the fans. It creates an environment. And yeah, it's not a, a home court per se. It's not that environment of being in an SEC football stadium on a Saturday. But it's also not the corporate nonsense of the Super Bowl where there are no actual fans. They're just people that happen to, you know, be big shots at Coke or Anheuser Bush. It was interesting, and obviously Texas A&M is a football school, and and that rules the roost there. But it seemed like um, most of the other fan bases for the even for the games I went to at night. For, so for both sessions, it seemed like Texas A&M probably had the smallest. They certainly did on base. Friday, but by Saturday they had doubled or tripled okay. that number of people, which still wasn't a huge number. It's certainly a football school, and you have to respect they just paid Jimbo Fisher a whole lot of money, and they've got a football program they have great pride in. But they still brought the yell leaders yep. and the cheerleaders, and the team obviously played really, really well. And now you know you even look at where they've been this year; they've had suspensions. And they've had injuries, and they were ranked in the top 10, and they fell out of the top 25, and now, now they're looking really good. They're, they're incredibly physical. They just yeah. have those big, strong, athletic bigs. Their guards can beat you off the bounce. But yeah, they didn't have the largest contingent, but you still felt their presence. It wasn't as if it was a home team versus a team with nobody there. They still had that, that core group, whereas... You go to a lot of sporting events with empty stadiums, regular season games. You might not see the AF. I mean, there are major league baseball games where they go, yeah, we don't have a starter. We're just going to pitch the bullpen in this game. I remember my dad went to an A's game a million years ago and goes, yeah, you know, it was really fun. I just wish McGuire and Canseco had played. I mean, you don't get that in the NCAA tournament. No, you're playing to win. I would say if you group... You know, like the cheerleader, whatever you bring, what you consider as your spirit squad, whether it's cheerleaders, uh, the yell leaders as far as A&M is involved, and mascot, Texas A&M was a one seed in their presentation. Yeah, they uh, they take it seriously. They do it right. They understand the value of not just the basketball coach and the basketball players, but, but that whole group of people. It makes for the environment. But we've now gone on for four or five minutes without hitting <laughs> the, 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 big the, big, topic the big topic of the podcast today. One of the biggest sporting events, I would argue the most significant event in Charlotte sports history took place on Friday night. 
UMBC became the first six seed, 16 seed ever to beat a number one. You brought your son to the game and then left. Well, no, you're making it sound like we showed up for five minutes and took off. You know, we saw the first game, which was uh, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't wasn't great. R- remind me of some details of it. So, um, all right, well, so we left. So I'll start from the beginning. So we left you. Uh, you and I went to the first session. Yeah, we went to the first session. And then you handed off for your 11-year-old son to experience something really cool, the NCAA yes. tournament. and he'd been there before. Right. But when we went before, uh, I, just, I got seats off of, like, the NCAA ticket return or whatever. So we sat, like, literally in the last row. Yeah. So this is a little bit different. So we, uh, we started out. We, we, he'd already eaten with his mom, so we went and just grabbed a drink beforehand because we, we had plenty of time. Then we went into the stadium, and it was uh, Creighton and Kansas State. So it was – Interesting because uh, K State still had a little bit of a size advantage. I thought on Creighton. Now Creighton's still big, but you can see the the striations between levels. You know, I mean Winthrop and, and Butler last year. You could tell which team was. You didn't even have to know anything about basketball. You could walk in and know that Butler was the the higher seat. Um, this was a little bit closer, but uh, Creighton just never really did anything. Um, and I think the one thing about this tournament that was to get sidetracked before. It, uh, we talk about the the, uh, the alleged defense Mike is here. filibustering. <laughs> I'm filibustering. Um, uh, a lot of poor shooting in the tournament. In the it was more so in the second round, I thought, but in the first round game. But uh, so we we uh, we watched the game, and uh, I said so. Uh, I turned to John. I go so you know w- what the game plan originally was. We were probably going to stay through halftime of the second game, um, and. He said, uh, we went for a little walk in between the games, and then we went back to our seats, and I said, so what, what's, the, what's the story? What do you want to do? He's like, I want to watch Virginia come out on the floor, and I think I'm ready to go. Right. So you trusted the 11-year-old to make the decision to miss the biggest upset in the history of college basketball. No, 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 Because you are dealing with 100% hindsight. You did not no know question. what was going well, we on. 0 record, for 135. We, that's right. 0 for 135. 100% right. That's why your original game plan made a boatload of sense. You watch a little bit, see what it looks like, and when it becomes a 30 or a 40-point game, you walk out and know that you're not missing anything. Okay, now, in, in, this is where you and I differ uh, because, and I don't mean this pejoratively, you do not have children. Correct. I do have a but, but it wasn't a no, 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 school no, no. night. No, yes, no, I know, but he'd been up since like 6.30. Sure. He was the teacher for the day, so he, it was a big day for him. Right. He was doing a lot you, of different I things. I love John. I just am always going to think of him as the kid that had the ticket to the biggest upset in college basketball history and walked out the door. And I am quite okay with that. Yeah, and, and, and that's fine. I mean, it, it's because now knowing the outcome – Yes, I would have done it differently. Of but, course. But, but uh, I would say probably 99 times out of 100, given the circumstances without knowing the outcome, I probably would have done the same thing. I mean, there's no real good comparison. I want to ask if you went to a doubleheader baseball game, if you would leave in between games, but because they play 162 but regular season games. But we're with an 11-year-old, and, and he had a – now, granted, it, was, it wasn't like he was playing at 8 in the morning the next day, but – you know, with, with, and just the way we parent, we, we try to keep him on as close of a like Did he watch he when he went home, or did he go to bed immediately? No, he went to bed as soon as he got home. I watched. In the morning, did you oh, talk no, no, about no, no. it? Oh, no, 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 I didn't even get that far. So Sam was out with her friends. She came home at midnight, and we started having a conversation, and he, he woke up hearing the conversation, and he found out that, uh, that Virginia lost. And what was his reaction? My bracket's busted. <laughs> Nothing about the fact he could have seen it. 
He doesn't think in those terms. I mean, he's 11 years old. Right. Like, I, now, you might be right. Like, 10 years from now, we could be at a Christmas. 10 know. years from now, you were at the game. Oh, no. 10 years ago, we rushed the floor. With <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that, right? There's no, no doubt about it. And this will be, you know, we'll, we'll have extinguished this from the internet. Now, I must and have, I have the ticket, so no one can say I wasn't there. I must have gotten... 15 text messages from people that just know I live in Charlotte yeah. saying, are you there? Are you there? And like, I felt like I had to eat it. And like, Hey, I, I, I gave the tickets to my friend and his buddy. Like, like, and, and, and I did, I mean, I, I gave them yeah. to you. I, I, no question. But like, if I had that ticket in hand, like, like that would have, I mean, it ate at me giving you the tickets. It would be unbearable in my own head to like I, I texted you, you we texted I don't yeah. know around halftime or so I said go back I know <laughs> I think I, I'm serious I think you should have gone back even without John just to to see the last six minutes of yeah. the game yeah that, I mean I did actually I did consider that I mean think about it besides the, our individual piece to this puzzle this is something unthinkable it, it, it's a team it's UMBC that's Radford. I would know. I would have. That's not those teams winning. No, that's I, someone blowing them out. Yeah, no, I. I the, the funny thing is, I, I feel I, I'm comfortable in the decision that we made, and I, like I said, I probably would make the same decision again unless I knew the outcome. Right now, having said that, if for some reason you and I went to both sessions and somehow we were just worn out after three games and had screw it, let's leave, I would have felt terrible. Oh my god! But that wouldn't have happened. We would have stayed at halftime. Like we would have. We would have fought through it. I went to a baseball— And then, and then we would have made it to halftime, we would have stayed because it was 21-21. I went to a baseball game with my grandfather, my dad's dad, probably in, I don't know, the, the late 80s or early 90s. We visited my other grandfather who was in the hospital before the game. Nothing incredibly serious, but obviously serious enough to be in the hospital. It was the Marlins, one of their very first years in existence, and the Giants at Candlestick Park. It was kind of a wild game— and we were supposed to meet people for dinner or go back to the hospital. I don't remember exactly why we were supposed to be leaving. And we left the game early. We listened to the last two or three innings. and went into extra innings on the radio. And I think Gary Sheffield or somebody hit a, a grand slam to win the game. And I'm like, I'm never leaving another game early. Like, I, I just hate missing that, that big event. And, and, like, I don't know. I mean, do you leave baseball games early? Not usually. Um, I mean, it's a regular season game. There are 162 of them. I completely get the guy that goes, they stop selling beer, I'm out. But, but, I, but I you also, never know. I also, Well, I'm trying to think. Did we stay for the final? We went to the, the Astros-Red Sox game. I mean, it was a meaningless game because both teams were in the playoffs last year. I don't think we – but we. But, but I was with my, one of my best friends. His son was a little bit younger than John, Ben. Uh, so I think we left maybe in the eighth inning to beat traffic. But, I mean, it was – yeah, I generally like to stay for the entire game, whatever it is. But if unless it's, it's like one of the most historic up. games in the history of college basketball. <laughs> yeah, but I well, I think it would be worse if we had gone to any portion of that game and then left. I think the fact that we left beforehand. Well, I sort of agree with that. If you went to the first eight minutes and then decided to leave, that would be even I more felt worse. I, I would. Yeah, felt I, th- bad about I that. think that would be even more poor judgment. But but in the end, like you, you saved. I mean, I guess two and a half hours out of one day, out of one month, out of one year, and now you didn't see this unbelievably historic moment. I mean, wouldn't you say it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in Charlotte sports? I would, no. I'd say it's probably three. Okay. I think the two Super Bowls would be, 
But that. I mean things that happened oh, actually here. physically happened in Charlotte. In Charlotte. Yeah, going to the Super Bowl is enormous. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I'd say it's that. I'd say it's the PGA. It's probably the Final Four that was here. Who won the PGA? Last year? Yeah. <laughs> was it Justin Thomas? Uh, I forget who it was. Is there any chance we would ever remember that five years from now? But I think... In- I will always remember Ryan Odom... Jarris Lyles, yeah. UMBC. They are indelible. They are Chaminade. We'll never forget Chaminade. There are certain names and places. You can just say one name and everyone remembers it. Tyus Edney. Yeah. I can see it in my head. I, I, I'll never forget that game. You were there. For, 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 the, for the pregame. For Creighton and Kansas Kent State. State. Well, that's, I blame the NCAA. They should have flipped those games. <laughs> I mean, someday you're going to be talking about that, and you're going to go, you know what no one remembers? Creighton and Kansas State. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And that we didn't stay. All right. When we come back on our Bearded Carcast, Mark Prosser, the associate head coach at Winthrop, is going to help us break down the games we saw, look forward to the games coming up this weekend, and maybe we'll have him share a moment or two of games that he's been to or wishes he had gone to, and, and we'll get his thoughts on you and John leaving something that surely you don't you know feel... I, I love. I mean, I know why you think it's that big a deal, but I tell you what, I, I have slept very comfortably the last three nights. It, I can does, th- it doesn't... I mean, I understand the significance of it, but it doesn't bother me that we weren't there. I'm not sure I can think of anything bigger that's happened outside of, like, unbelievably pressing important things like wars yeah, the or thing. the health of your family. No, but here's the thing. You, you, like... I understand the I understand the significance because it was the first time ever in 136 tries that a 16 beat a one. But we weren't Virginia fans. We didn't really. I mean, John asked me where UMBC was, and I had to explain it to him. Although the funniest thing I saw on the internet was somebody was trying to mansplain to a woman what UMBC was, and he said, "Yeah, it's University of Maryland Boston College." <laughs> but, I mean, but but we didn't have an emotional attachment to that game, so I, I think it lessens. Like if it were. Like a Winthrop, or not that this would ever happen, but I mean, if it was a team that we had an emotional attachment to, I, it would sting me, but I, it, I don't care. I mean, I understand the significance of it, but eh. Maybe you just don't like college basketball. I love college basketball, but you know what? I love my son, too, and you know, it just, I felt like it was in his best interest that we go home. I mean, Cinderella. Cinderella won. Yeah, Cinderella. He had opening day the next day. I just, you know what, the kid— Did he go two for three? He, uh, yeah, he went three for three with a home run. He, he threw a no-hitter, and um, I think, I think the, the team after him asked him to stay and pitch, and he did that too. Man, sounds like a, a good day. day. <laughs> All right, let's get Mark Prosser on. Welcome back to our Bearded Carcast from the Winthrop Coliseum in Rock Hill, South Carolina, one of our many home bases. But since Mike and I aren't driving anywhere right now, we have no assignments. We might as well just make it a home game. We're joined now by... Yeah, so one beard and no car. One beard, no car. Kind of throws into a loop that Bearded Carcast concept. We're joined now by Mark Prosser. He's the associate head basketball coach at Winthrop. Everyone knows his father, Skip Prosser, did a tremendous job at several different places along the way. You've been watching college basketball for a long, long time. Is anything better than this time of year? Absolutely not. And and, and let me just say that I would 
I wish I could grow a beard, and, and that <laughs> way maybe I could join a little more often. I can't, unfortunately. It doesn't look uh, it doesn't look very good on me. But uh, thanks for it doesn't look good on us <laughs> either. We just went with it anyway. Uh, no, I mean this last week has been really really unbelievable to watch, and um, you know it's 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 frustrating when you get you know somewhat used to being a part of it uh, to watch other people kind of go through and enjoy it, and um, you certainly wish that for your guys and for your team, and, and certainly we did as well. But as a fan, it doesn't get much better than the last few days, and um, it's certainly probably going to continue here for the next couple of weeks, which makes it that much more exciting. Is there any truth that Winthrop will be finding a 90 or 100 year old woman <laughs> who's been in the clergy? Some of the uh, some of the stories that have come out of that, and, and it's like this every year, uh, but I feel like there's some more, uh, you know angles this year and some more stories coming out of the first weekend that uh, are really really cool and that's it's another one that's that's a lot of fun to follow and um, you know they, they they genuinely seem to have a very very uh, special relationship with her and she with them and um, just another fun thing to watch and, uh, and continue to follow now that they're playing in the second weekend from a basketball perspective UMBC beating Virginia it's easy to say greatest Cinderella story of all time. It's easy to give Mike a hard time for leaving the game early. But <laughs> in between, we'll see, we'll get into that. But but we but already got into it earlier. We'll get into it again. But from an ex's nose, how did that happen? You know, it, it was a lot of those games turn into a confidence building moment. You know, kind of throughout the game. Um, you know, Virginia plays a style of basketball that's going to be low scoring and low possession. So you can hang around and you can hang around. I think, um, you know, believe me, we, <laughs> they're very good. So, you know, I'm not saying we would have hung around, but, but you can hang around and be in the game and, you know, a couple things go your way and you get a couple stops and your confidence starts to build. And, and in those moments, having had a chance to be, you know, in a couple of them, when, when you start to hang around and you start to maybe take a lead and you make a couple shots, the entire arena roots for the underdog yeah. and the entire arena gets behind you and it's such a special feeling and now all of a sudden there's 18,000 people screaming and yelling and, and, and pulling for you and when things start to go your way it can snowball a little bit um, and having unfortunately been on both sides of it you know when that's you up you know and the team that's probably supposed to win it's 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 a helpless feeling um, but you know when those shots the shots start to fall and the team starts to buy in and you're calling timeouts and they're calling timeouts and the energy continues to grow really down the stretch UMBC looked like the higher-ranked team, and, yeah. and, and Virginia started to do things that were really, really uh, atypical and uncharacteristic of who they were. Defensively, offensively, they started to really press. Um, he's a phenomenal basketball coach. Obviously, they had a phenomenal year, and you certainly don't take anything away from what they were doing. Uh, but I, I thought UMBC had tremendous poise. I thought they were, again, very well coached as well. Uh, it was fun. It was fun to watch and, and, and certainly fun to, uh, to follow them into the next round. It would round have been also. fun to be at. All it right. would have been fun to be at if right. you know we'll, it'd be we'll one of those things that you know I would hate to miss and you know I hate to have left early. Do we have to get into this now? <laughs> <laughs> I've already explained this. All right, so eleven-year-old, we had a baseball game the next day. He was tired. He'd been up since six. He was a teacher for the day. He was he was worn out. Sure. Sure. So we had yeah. to do the adult. Yeah. I had to make the you'll, adult decision. You'll never have that story to tell uh, to his kids or anything like that, that you were oh, no, there no, the no, only no. time. No, time I think he still tell no, the story. No, no, no. By the time he has kids, we will have been there and rushed the court. <laughs> sure, yeah, so. sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, it's going to be a hard one to swallow there for a little while. Uh, but you can rationalize it. That, uh, I understand. Oh, no. I, I understand. I've slept great the last three nights. <laughs> as a parent, I know that feeling, and, and that's why every sporting event you ever go to, it's like, 
want to leave early, but you're not 100 yeah. percent sure how the thing's going to uh, well. It's actually play his out, fault because originally I was going to buy the Sunday tickets. So yeah. if I bought the Sunday tickets, we would have stayed for both games because it sure. was True. middle of the day. Yeah, so it's yeah. actually his fault. Yeah, I, it's, yeah I, most things are my fault. It's easy By to the blame way, him anyway. I, I'm really sorry that you guys lost to Radford. I felt like I didn't cut well. I didn't get free throws at the end of the game. Exactly. My, my bad. I, I I blame you for that I don't think you most did of the time. The I really <laughs> right exactly because <laughs> the pregame is where it sets the tone. Yeah, but maybe the best thing for for some of the mid majors and low majors that that find themselves as a 16 is now you can tell that story of hey you know what they did it so can we yeah and i don't think the the talent gap is believe me there is one uh, but i don't know how great it is now i don't know how much greater it's becoming i i think that you know if you're in that tournament it means you're pretty good and and, and obviously umbc showed the wherewithal to go up and win in a very tough environment that some of us know well up in vermont um and and, and if you do that and you're playing against very good teams you're not going to be intimidated by the moment um and again once that thing starts to go your your way a little bit um you know you can start to put some possessions together that are successful and again when that confidence starts to build and that that kind of arena rallies around you it's you know anything's possible and I think that coach Bennett who's phenomenal and, and, and you know an even better person than, than a basketball coach from everything that I've ever heard um, was so gracious after the game it's a really really hard moment and yeah. um, you know to be part of history in that way um, you know it's it was going to happen sooner or later I think um, you know I think it didn't happen the 134 times previously so obviously it's something that will stick with them but uh, he was very gracious I think he gave a, a ton of credit to UMBC's players and coaches and um, you know wouldn't expect anything less from a guy like him whether it be from your playing days your coaching days my, my playing a, days were very limited Dave, <laughs> as you know, so. uh, watching your dad's teams do you have one indelible tournament memory Watching his teams, unfortunately, you know, I, the thing that lasts for me is their game against West Virginia, which was one of the best NCAA tournament games. It was, I want to say it was triple overtime. Kind of um, hits home with West it Virginia, does, too. It, it does, um, which that watching that progression over the weekend with the West Virginia Marshall game was a lot of fun as well. Um, unfortunately, their game didn't turn out to be quite as close as we all kind of hoped it would be. But, um, you know, what happened that weekend was I was an assistant at Bucknell University. We played Kansas the night before and had an opportunity to beat Kansas. And then, um, so we were preparing for Wisconsin in the second round, and that day was the West Virginia was the Wake Forest West Virginia game um, and it was back and forth and, and uh, triple overtime and West Virginia won the game and uh, I believe it was 2-7 and it, the, the reason it stands out to me is my father thought he had a Final Four caliber team uh, they were very very talented um, it was just such a horrendous draw um, and, and, and West Virginia was playing well and I think they ended up being a 7 which was a little low um, unfortunately but uh, they played well enough to win the game it was a great basketball game uh, but it sort of dampered that week Weekend, which um, you know, I, I had to get over relatively quickly. Um, you know, kind of getting ready for uh, for Wisconsin, but we were on cloud nine anyway. It would have taken a lot more than that to bring us down. So, what about um, as far as what's the furthest you've been? Uh, whether it's you know watching your dad, maybe it's that game, or what's the furthest you've been in the NCAA tournament? Sure, uh, I went to one of his games in the Sweet Sixteen when they played St. Joe's. Um, you know, we played when I was an assistant at Bucknell. We played um, in the second round twice. We had uh, won the fourteen three against Kansas. The next year, we beat uh, Arkansas in the first round in the eight nine game. Um, you know, unfortunately, with the eight nine game, if you win, yeah. you turn around and have to play the one seed. We played Coach Calipari's Memphis or UMBC or well, yeah, which which yeah, it's funny because I think every assistant in, in and coaching was probably thinking the same thing about how much preparation the assistant coach from Kansas State yep. that would have had that scout had done on, on UMBC. So, um, you know, it's, it's you know, 
fortunately, I'm sure they were very, I'm sure they were very prepared and everybody does their job very, very well. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and, and sometimes it's unexpected and you, yeah. you find your way to beat Kansas and everything is just, everything's just a lot of fun from there. But, um, you know, and, and once you get that first one under your belt, and I think that UMBC was a perfect example, they went into that next game against Kansas State and, and thought they were going to win yeah. and they were right there for the entire game. And, and again, they did a great job of controlling tempo and it was low scoring and it was low possession. And I think both teams somewhat sort of play that way, but, um, you know, they were right there and, and, and made it a very, very entertaining game. And, you know, you do that and you have the entire country kind of pulling for you. And now they're, they're a bit of a national name and a household name in college basketball. And, uh, it's fun. It impacts your school. So in such a positive way and a bunch of different levels. So, um, it's good for them. Did you learn anything in the first weekend, whether it be something that can help you or just, wow, this team looks particularly good. I think they're going to be really tough to beat the rest of the way. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, you saw a lot of people win in a lot of different ways. And, and um, you know, Syracuse plays a, a different brand of basketball defensively. They prefer and, and, not to play offense. Right. And, 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 but you know what? What they're doing, their system is working well for them. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned West Virginia. West Virginia plays a different brand of basketball than a lot of people. And what they're doing is, is really working for them. Now, you know, the luck of the draw and things like that, they play Villanova, who's probably, um, you know, maybe the best team. I guess potentially, but who knows at this point, I guess, uh, kind of going into the next week, and, and, and that's going to be a great game. But I think you got to see that you can win a lot of different ways. Um, I think you got to see um, some very, very well-coached teams kind of move on. Um, it's just it's just really fun to see those those individual kind of personal moments for the young men and, and, and the kids from Loyola that you guys had mentioned before, um, you know, and, and to make buzzer beaters in the first two rounds, and that's, that's kind of what March Madness is all about. And um, just a lot of fun to, to watch as a fan after you get over the initial uh, disappointment of not being there. Um, you know, but uh, really, really a fun first weekend. I'm sure it'll continue. Before we let you go, we know you're a huge Steelers fan. You like the Penguins and the Pirates, all those sure. Pittsburgh teams. Outside of work, and we know that you and your staff spend an unbelievable amount of time recruiting and evaluating and player sure. development, all that stuff. Where do you spend most of your free time, not with your kids, not That's with your not, wife. That was, was going to be my <laughs> right. right uh, uh, we, sure. we know that, but like, like this time of year, you get twenty wow. minutes. Are you thinking about the bracket? Are you thinking about the Steelers' free agency, the Pirates' spring training? Like, where's your mind go? Um, you know, it, it's hard because I, we talked about it a little bit briefly before. Is when you're not involved in that tournament after after doing it a few times, you uh, you know. Don't get into the bracket, really. You could have asked me going into the first weekend who played who. I would have had no idea. Um, you know, you hear some of the arguments about seeding and things like that, but I, it's it's part of my immaturity probably that I'm still frustrated that we're not playing. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it could be a multitude of different things, and uh, I do. I follow Pittsburgh sports very, very closely, and we signed a – Supposedly, are signing a safety from the Packers. I think today, hopefully, that goes through. We need. Some, I love that you we, call them we. we. We need some. We. we. Need, oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's we, and, and um, you know, always has been, always will be. But uh, and we need some help in the secondary. So I think that's something that we're excited about. I, unfortunately, for the uh, for the Pirates, I think um, you know, I think we'll hover around that 500 mark again. You know, we'll see if they they make some some investments and in, in maybe upgrading the talent. I think that's something that we're kind of all as Pirate fans hungry for. And the Penguins are going to be really really good. 
good and have a chance to go and um, and and, and three peat and, and at least make a run at it. So it's exciting and it's you know it's a fun time to be a Pittsburgh sports fan. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, the, the the things that we're doing and you're already you know we turn the page quickly to next year and um, we're very excited about the young men that we have back and um, certainly excited to get started again and get them back on the court and start to prepare because there's a sometimes it's hard sometimes it's hard to get guys motivated again but there's such a bitter taste in our mouth for how mm-hmm. the season ended um a lot of us didn't kind of see it ending abruptly in, in, in the way that it did um and, and so it won't be hard to get these guys motivated and they're they're very very self-motivated as well so it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, we'll be counting days down to the opener next year and i hope you appreciate because this was certainly done on purpose uh, the people on our I mean, we have three different mics and each mic has a different color code to it. So Dave's on the red, I'm on the blue, and I have black and yellow for, for you. Perfect. Mine is because I'm communist. It couldn't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it well, could have worked out any better. This, well, it made me feel very comfortable. You guys were very intimidating. Some of these questions, I was a little worried, so uh, it made me feel much more comfortable. No, the funny thing is I was originally going to give you the yellow because of Oakland A's. Right. And then I said, well, wait a minute. Pross is a Pittsburgh fan. So, right. So the only color, I mean, red and blue don't really What hair that. I have left is red. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's just not a <laughs> great deal of it. wearing a red that. shirt. And I'm wearing a red shirt. Well, it's more orange because <laughs> Syracuse is in the Sweet 16. I don't know if you watched any of that. I'm, I'm not I sure did. if you're familiar with it. I did. Syracuse University, the Harvard of upstate New York, sure they've did. once again advanced to the, the round of 16 in the NCAA I've heard tournament. That. I've heard that. Yeah, that's it's amazing. And I don't know. I believe they were the last team in, right? Is that, they were. Is that they were. how it kind of came down? Which, you know, and, and the way that it's kind of gone, you, you sort of see why, you know, it would have been nice to have a Middle Tennessee or a St. Mary's right. because I think there's talent all throughout uh, – um, See, Mary's look pretty good in the NIT. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I mean, they've got a guy that led the country in assists. They've got a twenty and twenty guy. I sure. mean, they, they're pretty good. Sure, yeah, and, and and they probably deserve to be in the tournament. But it's so competitive, and it's hard to make an argument against Syracuse right now because they're in the Sweet Sixteen and they've beaten good teams to get there. So, um, you know, it's always no part of them. And it's, like it, they were not driving in. It, they just muck it, it up. It's yeah. some some of those things you watch and talk about. You know, trying to see what other teams do well, see what teams have done to be successful, and, and see how that zone can really, really stagnate and and, and make you sort of try to find different ways to attack it. And I thought Michigan State did, for for a long stretch of that game, get pretty good looks. They just couldn't couldn't. Former Winthrop basketball coach Randy Peel, who was an assistant at Virginia Tech for a time before doing a scout on Syracuse, bought the Jim Beheim instructional video on the zone. I I think that makes sense. I mean, (laughs) you know, you certainly try to – um, prepare as, as much as possible and, and try to find little nuances of, of, of a certain uh, teaching point that gives you an opportunity. But, um, you know, they do it and they, they do it well. And obviously they're committed to it. And, um, you know, I had a chance when I was at Bucknell, we, we won in the Carrier Dome. We went up there and played them up there and had a ch- and, and won the game. And, um, and weren't invited back. And we, yeah, I think, it, I don't think we were at the time, but um, it's hard. It's hard. They make it really hard. And, and, um, you know, I, w- I wouldn't want to play them in the next round. I don't know who they have, but um, they have Duke. Be, is that right? Yeah. Right. Be, uh, that that little and school be, just down the road. Know, friends, yeah, yeah and, and and that'll be you know Duke has a bunch of young kids and, and attacking a long athletic two three that it, they're very very well versed in. Um, you know, Duke has a pretty decent coach on their sideline. They have as a couple well, of so good players, be, I believe. They too. do. They do. Um, but it's still, you know, it, it kind of can stagnate you a little bit and, and, and make you stand around and look at it. So that'll be uh, that'll be good. I'm glad I didn't know that was the matchup. That'll be a, that'll be a good one. But here's a good question because we had Paul Biancardi on a couple weeks ago. Um, would you take an experienced team over a, a team that has a lot of youth, but has a lot of ta- like really yeah. talented team but young, or against a maybe not sure. a talented, experienced team? Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, 
talent level is going to help you win a bunch of games. I, I think when you're successful, um, the teams in March that are successful typically have some senior leadership, some guys that have been around, and I don't think it's one or the other necessarily for them. You know, the, the Grayson Allen kid's been around for a long time, and um, his leadership, I think, would shine through in a moment like that, um, and certainly in preparation. And, and, and by this point, at the end of the day, nobody's freshman anymore. You've been through, you know, 35 games, whatever it is, and, um, you know, most of the time when you're in your 35, 36th game, wherever they are in their season, you're probably into your sophomore year. So, um, you know, I think that those kids – aren't necessarily true freshmen anymore. They've been around enough that their experiences uh, are such that they're probably beyond that. Um, but again, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of a different different animal for them to attack offensively. So uh, it'll be fun. It'll be a uh, that'll be a fun one to watch. Mark Prosser is the associate head basketball coach at Winthrop University, and at some point soon is going to be running his own program. <laughs> and we are looking forward to uh, following you and cheering for you and wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us on the Bearded Carcast, minus a car and minus most a of the beards. Anytime. It's, uh, it's an honor. I really appreciate it. Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman alongside. You can get involved in the conversation. Email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. At Bearded Carcast on Twitter, use the hashtag Bearded Carcast. All right, so we've covered that my uh, my original sin of uh, leaving in between games <laughs> uh, in the first and second uh, for the first and second session. The second session was the game that. Uh, I took off on. Um, I don't remember what happened in the yeah, game. Yeah, well, yeah. Who knows what? <laughs> Something happened. Although, in, although in ten years, you know, I will have been uh, next to Ryan Odom when they uh, when the clock struck zero. That's right. And we had a great conversation with Mark Prosser, who's uh, you know really good, still considered to be a good young coach, and you know I think. At some point. Uh, if we can be good young broadcasters, he can right, certainly right, be a good right. young coach. We're still young broadcasters, right? Yeah, I mean, broadcasters don't become old until their 70s, right? Exactly. My hairline doesn't seem <laughs> to indicate it, but um, that's why this is radio or it's podcasting. Pod, it's, it's why it's podcasting. Of the matchups, because um, we're going to do some quick hits here, but I did want to talk about some of the games coming up real quickly. Um, do we expect, you know, a Loyola Chicago? Is, is that a team that can – can advance. I mean, what do you see is, is maybe some of the, the, the matchups that, that you're looking at? I mean, obviously, a lot of people are still hopeful that Villanova um, can make it. I know for me, you know, Villanova and Duke are the teams that I have in the Final Four on the right side of the bracket. The left side of the bracket for me is just completely blown up. Uh, a lot of people still have Kansas out there. I mean, everyone's bracket is messed up to some degree. And if you cheer for your bracket, you have a problem because you don't have a heart. I mean, <laughs> no, nobody nobody had Loyola Chicago playing Nevada. But whoever wins that game, you have to cheer for them. I mean, I mean that that's the magical story of one of those two teams potentially going to the Final Four. So can West Virginia beat Villanova? 100% yes. Can Texas Tech beat Purdue or Purdue beat Texas Tech with the injury to Purdue? Yeah, that's a, a toss-up game. I think Clemson's going to have difficulty with Kansas, but Brad Burnell's defense is so good, certainly could be a close game. Kind of the same thing with Syracuse and Duke. Duke is better basketball players. Duke rolled them the first time they played in Durham. But Syracuse wants to muck it up and play a low-scoring, tough defensive style. If they get their tempo of the game, maybe um, Texas A&M, we talked about them. They've had kind of that the weird season. They can beat Michigan. I think Gonzaga is significantly better than Florida State. But, you know, Florida State beat Xavier, so so why not? Florida State beat Missouri, so, so why not? Uh, Loyola and Nevada is just kind of a, a fun game. 
I don't think Kansas State is as good as Kentucky. I think Kansas State got an unbelievable draw beating a middling Creighton team and then UMBC. If, if, if they get healthy, though, who knows? I mean, Kentucky's looking at a draw of beating Davidson, Buffalo, Kansas State, and either Loyola or Nevada to get to the Final Four. But remember, they always have the toughest draw. <laughs> And uh, what do you what do you feel about uh, second chance brackets uh, as far as like people re-entering at the round of sixteen? I mean, it's it's in good fun. If you want to have fun, have have fun. I mean, it's not my preferred way of doing it, but it's not as though so many of these games are clear cut. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, have fun with it. I mean, if you put a couple bucks on it or a beer on it, you do it with your friends or your family. Sure, why not? I know the eleven year old uh, is is chomping at the bit. To wants to restart. He wants to restart. But he was so chalky. He was chalky, and it didn't work it didn't out. Didn't work out for him. Although he's tied for fourth in uh, in one of the in one of the leagues we're in. And moving on to some other things, Dave, that you know we've kind of been talking about uh, throughout the day. And one one big news story that uh, comes out today: a competitor potentially to the XFL, Charlie Ebersol, who's Dick Ebersol's kid. Uh, he, ironically, Charlie was a, a documentarian on the Thirty for Thirty for the XFL. This one is interesting. They have a lot of people associated, former NFL players, former NFL executives involved in this bid. They have a media plan already, and they have a plan in place to start after the Super Bowl in 2019. You and I talked about the XFL at some length. What episode was that in? You're so good at remembering I what's in what. I believe that was episode four. Okay, so we talked about the XFL and, and kind of various ways that could potentially work. There is a thirst for football, even if it's not great football. High school football gets ratings Bad college football gets ratings. Bowl games nobody cares about get ratings. The Pro Bowl gets ratings. Preseason NFL games get ratings. It makes sense to me, even though it doesn't appeal to me personally, that there would continue to be a football product out there. And this feels like the end of the Arena League, right? The Arena League has had kind of a a long run, but I think it's really trickled off in recent years. These leagues are going to get more exposure, more of kind of that that next level of player. It, it seems to me it's taking the place of the Arena League. Well, where would the Arena League get players? Because essentially their players would essentially go into this new league. So now one thing that Charlie Ebersol did talk about in a continuation of what you just said, Dave, was you know 59, around 59 million people play fantasy football, and that all ends at the NFL season. So they're trying to kind of keep but the But no one plays that. fantasy International League baseball, <laughs> and nobody plays – Fantasy. No, but, but it's not. But there's no other. It, well, I think the better comparison, Dave, would be how many people are doing fantasy winter ball. Yeah, not many. You know, because that's the more right. I, not 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 many. But I do think people miss football, and I think people love football. The XFL failed for a wide variety of reasons. One of which was the quality just wasn't very good. How good are the next? group of players after the NFL season is over. I I, I don't know, but my, my guess is there is a niche. I will tell you this. I don't know if there's room for the XFL and this league. Do you think there is? And and you throw in, I mean, some of these arena teams still have a following. You know, it's interesting. The, the, this new league, the Ebersol League, would have about eight teams. I think they'd play 10 games. They already have their first game and their championship game on CBS, and then they would do a game of the week on the CBS Sportsnet. So, yeah, I mean, that's great. They're on television. Yeah. Being on TV is really, really good. But uh, That's a million-dollar question, I mean, though. Do, is there an appetite for it? 
I think I don't there know. is. I, I I think there is if it's done the right way, if the quality of play is high enough. But it gets into kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is golf, mm. because people the ratings are unbelievable the last several weeks since I Tiger Woods has been playing <laughs> well. But we've talked about this before too. Would you rather watch a golf tournament after the Super Bowl ends, or would you rather watch what ostensibly is a minor league football game? I would rather watch golf, but I'm not so sure if Tiger Woods is not involved that the average person wouldn't rather watch third-rate football. Well, and he's, he's the X factor, right? I mean, if Tiger's involved, he people are going to watch Tiger. No doubt. Now, the question is, you know, that next level player, or now I guess it'd be almost two-level player, right? Um, the young guys now, like the, the Rory McIlroy's and, you know, that whole crew, uh, Jordan Spieth's, are those guys, uh, are they enough, or can they be enough of a draw in the next four or five years to to make that golf in between what you're talking about skew more to golf? And I mean, the, the, the data... The research says the answer is no. I like watching Justin Thomas. I like watching. Now, I'm still really only watching the majors and occasionally a Sunday. Right. But but I think that's a better product than watching Johnny Manziel try to resurrect his career. I don't think the public feels that way, though. I'd rather invest in a second-tier football league than a non-major golf tournament. Well, and I would say... The piece to the puzzle is is giving people options, right? So if you have Sunday baseball on, you have a good golf tournament on, and then maybe you have this XFL league, now you're bringing more people into the fold. And what I mean by that is, and, I, and you might be a little bit different than I, when I watch it, like if I'm sitting home on a March or April Sunday that's not the Masters, and I'm watching golf. I'm flipping around. I'm, I'm seeing else what, what, what I'll tell on. you this. I haven't watched a Sunday night baseball game that doesn't involve my favorite team in five years. I, it's regular season baseball. I have no interest. I mean, like, I'll, I'll follow it by looking at box scores and following the big headlines of the day. But it's, it's the Royals and Twins on a Wednesday afternoon. I mean, no thanks. There's, the game doesn't mean anything. No, but I'm saying... That the windows that you're going to watch golf are predominantly the weekend. Right. Most people are going to watch on a Sunday. Right. And I'm assuming that this XFL would be a Saturday or a Sunday. Probably. I don't know that it said in the article. Yeah. I mean, what, it would make which, sense. It would just right. continue what the NFL right. was doing. He play on play on Sunday. Right. So I think. So I think what I'm saying is, sports fans will watch whatever is out there. And if you give more reasons for sports fans to go. To watch yep. something. It might also not be a one or the other because golf is generally played during the day, whereas Sunday night football is the highest rated show. You could put these games on Sunday night. I can watch golf and that, and then all I have to do is beat Sunday night baseball. And, and, and maybe ratings for Sunday night baseball are good. I just can't imagine if the Red Sox and the Yankees aren't on who's watching. Right. Well, speaking of that, the Red Sox and Yankees, according to a Bloomberg report that I saw today, uh, might be going across the pond and playing a series. I think it's a great a two idea. game series in June. I, I mean, it's, June it's all about revenue. Yeah. It's all about trying to bring in another market. It's two out of 162 games. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, yes, there's revenue at, at Fenway or revenue at Yankee Stadium, but like you, you're bringing in an entirely new market. It's why the NHL is playing in China. It's why there's college basketball being played around the world in November. It's why we're seeing the NFL games in Europe. Europe, like you're trying to bring in more people to buy jerseys 
overseas and get into it. I think it makes complete sense. And and if there is a concern about the revenue stuff, you know, MLB can certainly offset some of that. Oh yeah, each team could give up one home game. Yeah, like you wouldn't have. I don't think there's that much of a sacrifice. And let's be honest, because I know a lot of people talk about well the travel. All right, the Yankees and the Red Sox are probably two of the teams. Maybe the Orioles, uh, maybe the Mets, uh, East Coast teams that aren't that far. Comparatively to Europe, as opposed to like the West Coast teams, and remember, they're not sitting and going through security. They're getting right. on a freaking charter. They're taking the right. bus. Right. I mean, if it's the Mets or the Yankees, you're going from New York City to whatever the nearest airport. Is. That doesn't take you long to get no. there. You're walking off the bus. You're getting on the airplane. You're taking off. Well, and generally, those planes will probably, be, at worst, be outfitted with a lot of business class Absolutely. seats. Absolutely. So, and. and you're talking about a seven-hour flight as opposed to, I mean, look what some of the minor league leagues are doing, the low A ball. Right, I mean, but this, isn't, 10 or 12 this hours. isn't minor leagues, but it's still, the two teams are going to be on an even playing field. The question is, when they come back, how much does it right. hurt them? But my guess is they're smart enough to do this where it butt-ups against, like, the All-Star break or something right. along right. those well, lines. Be in June, so it would be before the All-Star break. But what you could do is do it midweek, um, do, like, a, a day game, you travel at night, maybe give an off day while you're in London, play the two games, maybe do a 1 o'clock game on that second day, fly home, have the next day off. So, And what they really ought to do is when they come home, those teams should play each other. So they're not at a disadvantage playing against a team that didn't have to go over there. They get another off day or two, and they play at Fenway or they yeah, play at Yankee Stadium. Uh, that, that, that's something I hadn't considered. I, th- I like that idea. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's actually a really good idea. And what about the new minor league baseball rules? Uh, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit before. I mean, it's there is somewhat of a the night stadium starts when the what's that the night stadium the night's games. All right, so the the twenty uh, sixth is the first. Uh, it's the White Sox exhibition game, so that'll be their first. So like ten days away from the regular season. Yeah, something and then, along and those then, lines. Uh, yeah, and then the regular season starts up on the fifth. The Knights will actually be on the road at Durham. And then the first home game will be the twelfth against the Railroad. Oh, so it's still a month away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So and, and the new experimental rules are, or at least the ones that are getting most of the attention, are in extra innings, a runner is going to be placed at second base. It's like a softball rule. Right. Um, and and that'll be huge because what they want to do is obviously speed up the game. They want to try and get these games over with and so safe not, pitching. And safe pitching. Um, the one that's going to be interesting is they are implementing the um, the visits to the mound. Right. Uh, and, and the majors are doing that too, the or no? Are doing that yeah, too. okay. Yeah. Uh, they already have the pitch clock stuff in place, uh, but I think they're going to kind of fine tune that and, and be more. So, what's the argument against all the stuff but placing the runner? I, I I understand that completely changes the game. I personally like it because it's minor league games that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It moves the game along, and you save the pitching. But I completely get how that changes the game. You wouldn't do that in the major leagues. That's not realistic. Okay, and, and if you did it in the major leagues, it would be like the NHL doing the the shootout, and right. it's only because it's one out of 162 games. You wouldn't do it in the playoffs. Whatever. What's the argument against the visits to the mound and the pitch clock? The only argument against that is on the player side. Uh, I don't think anybody else, for the most part, has a problem with it. And I go back to three years ago when they instituted the pitch clock in minor league baseball. Knights games went from consistently being over three Almost, I think the average time a game was roughly three minutes a game or th- three hours a game or over. And then the next year when they had all that pitch clock stuff and speed up the play and in between innings, they narrowed that the time between innings. Uh, 
our games times went to averaging close to 250 or under. Right. You're saving 10 minutes or more. But and you know what's funny? And maybe this is just being in it day after day. For me, that felt like a noticeable difference. Yeah. And did people complain? No. I mean, I mean some of the older pitchers, um, you know, like we had Brad Penny, who, who was kind of on his last legs, and, you know, he, he didn't want to be told that he, you know, what he had to do. Uh, to me, it's an education process for the players. I agree. Because they have to learn that, okay, you might have to speed up things a little bit, but it's making your product more enjoyable to your fans. What's wrong with ties? Just by and large in sports, what's, what's wrong with a tie? Like, why couldn't you play nine innings of baseball, an extra inning or two, it's still tied, chalk it up, it's a tie, let's move on. The only argument I could think of off the top of my head, because we didn't, this is something we didn't, um, we didn't really research, so I didn't have time to think about it. But off the top of my head, the only answer I could give back to you, and not that I'm supporting this or not supporting it, but it would be just tradition. It's just that's not the way it's been done. Right. I mean, like you watch hockey, you're a Bruins fan, so we've kind of run the gauntlet. I hate the, uh, I hate the shootout. I hate the shootout too because you just put like a stupid contest at the end of a game. Now, what they've done in the NHL though is they've kind of gotten away from the shootout because they now do the three on three, which is right. equally gimmicky and kind of yeah. silly. But if you make it to the shootout. You get a point. Right. So then it's just that's for an, another point. Like, it, it's just not that big a deal. Like, what if in baseball you played nine innings, you played a couple extra innings? Okay, now there, there's a tie, and somehow you reward both teams with half a win. I mean, you play 162 games. What's the big deal? I wouldn't have a problem with that. But I think the issue becomes just because Baseball has this tradition of no clock, and so the game ends when the game ends, and that has to be you know with a clear winner and a clear loser. I, I think had they thought of that in the 1900s, yeah, right. maybe – I think if ties were initially instituted, nobody would have a problem with it. But I think if you bring it up now, people are like, what are you doing? We're traditionalists. This is not how the game is played. Right, but th- that's that's the classic false argument that it's the way we've always done it. Well, that doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. Just look at the reaction to, and granted it was an exhibition game, but look at the reaction of ending an all-star game in a tie. Right. I don't, see, I think if you look at it intellectually, I don't know that I have a problem with what you're saying. It, like, so, you know, I don't know, would ties mess up, a, 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 too many ties, right? Would a tie mess up a tie-breaking situation? Like, it shouldn't because you can just go by win percentage. I don't know. I just, like, we're, we're constantly searching for options, and we end up with, three-on-three hockey, which isn't really hockey, and we end up with uh, just kind of these niche weird, like, what do we even, how would you even describe the way we play overtime in football now? Like, it's not really the full game of football. There's no... Right. Well, each team has a chance to... Right, but like, what what would, like... Why don't it's the field goal. Why why do we have to do it that way? Like, I understand the playoffs. That's different. Those games matter. The winner moves on. But, like, doesn't hockey kind of have it right? Like, in the playoffs, you just play until there's a winner. And in the regular season, they've tried ties. They didn't like that. They have a stupid shootout. They don't really like that. They do the three-on-three thing. But, like, they're the only one that seems to recognize the regular season doesn't matter. I mean, half the teams get into the playoffs, like determine the game however you want. Like, I just don't think putting a runner at second base, like reward both teams like right. the NHL does, give them a pointer. Or, but, right. but the other thing I would add, though, Dave, is that games, the baseball has changed so much in that 
when they started baseball what 120 130 40 years ago games lasted probably an hour hour and a absolutely. half absolutely you know now when you look at a game going two and a half three hours plus and when it's the Red Sox Yankees it's like four hours for a nine inning game I, I, I think it, it wasn't seen as a problem because if you did a three hour game 100 yep. years ago it was in 12 13 innings no yep. one cared but yep. now you're doing a 14 15 inning game and it goes five hours eh, now it's a problem and well, to your maybe, point, but maybe to your it's point, not a problem. Maybe you yeah. actually hit on it there. Maybe it's only a problem for the guy that doesn't want to spend five hours watching a baseball game, and that's his own freaking issue. Well, and, and let's be honest. I mean, a five-hour regular season game, um, you know, the team's already gotten their money. They've you only have one or two of them right. a year. Right. It, it's not that big a problem from that standpoint. If it were to become a problem, then you might look at pitching and – you might want to look at what you were talking about is maybe allowing games ties or make it a tie after like 12 innings or 11 innings or something like that. It would be a real problem, though, for someone that has an 11-year-old and, you know, they're not even sure if they should stick around for the fourth inning, never mind the 14th inning. Okay, I can't wait for you to have kids. <laughs> have we run the gauntlet? I think that's a good a good place. To, let's start. Let's end where we began, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, well, we enjoy uh, doing this and I uh, hope you do, too. Give us Give us an email. BeardedCarCast at Outlook.com. Use the hashtag BeardedCarCast. Thanks to Mark Prosser for joining us. Yeah, it was, it was a great pleasure to have Mark Prosser on. And hope you enjoyed episode 16. We encourage you to go back and check out the first 15 if you've missed them. And check out next week. We'll have another look at what's coming up in the NCAA playoffs. We're getting closer to baseball. Fantasy baseball. Fantasy baseball. I don't know about that. I can't do fantasy <laughs> baseball. I don't know about that. All right, so for Dave Friedman, I'm Mike Pacheco. Thanks for listening.